right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I read one of the saddest tweets of my life earlier today. Like I wanted to cry. I wasn't even sad, but I read it and I wanted to cry like it's a sad movie. I'm a sympathetic and person. Now you want to start the show with that? Yeah. You want to start the show with a downer. It's not a downer for me. I'm not oh. sad. You said you wanted to cry. I did. Past tense. Not anymore. I'm fine. Earlier today, Derek Johnson, a.k.a. you, tweeted out, straight up makes me not want to do this anymore. What is the? You should probably add some context yeah, there. Well, Otherwise, why don't it sounds you like I it. just want to like end my life. Which, what is the this you know. that you don't want to do anymore? No, I do want to do it, but you I, said I was straight very up discouraged me, this morning. It says straight up makes yeah, me not yeah. want to do this anymore. No, I was I was very discouraged this morning. Um, with you know, there's always the straw that breaks the camel's back. We've had a couple complaints with trivia. I think we might have had more last year. Um, but we've had a couple people where we see it on Twitter, subtweeting us. You're not tagging us, but we see it. Um, and then we've had a couple people who have tagged us. And we got one this morning, an unexpected one. Um, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The complaint of RCST trivia. So I say this. One, it's a free trivia tournament. If we mess up, we'll try to make amends. But if outside of that, like, I don't want to hear your complaints. Hmm. It's a free tournament that is so lame. So you're saying people aren't allowed to complain. This is not a free country anymore. Not trivia. No. Trivia is... I, I think people it, are free a, to complain about whatever they want to complain a about. No, that's not that's not right. Okay, fine. Then you can complain, but I'm allowed to put you on blast. That's only fair. Who complained? All right, well, then I'm just going to put them on blast. If you're saying it's free or... Okay, you know, so, so so somebody complained and now you're going to destroy them? You think that's fitting? So somebody said, hey, I didn't think this was right, and your response is now you're going to verbally annihilate them. You think that's okay? <laughs> you just said it was free speech. I think it's free speech Let for them to say, hey, I don't quite think this is right. Okay, well, okay, go ahead. You go ahead then. I'm not going to stand in your way. Who do you want to put on blast? All right, Connor, you want to complain about this? Connor. Connor. Our two seed yeah, in the Midwest region who lost Listen, to I hope you're back Ryan. next year. We like you as a competitor. But again, if you're going to complain, I have room to put you on blast. You have 13 correct tw- trivia answers in seven appearances. That's Wait, whoa, less whoa, whoa, than, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's less than two per. Whoa. And by the way, okay, you made the grade eight last you're going, year. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. You made the Slow down. Slow down. This year. Slow down. What did, he, what did he complain about? He complained that his question was... Way harder than the other person's. The question the other person got, who was the Big 12 tournament MVP in 2018? Malik Newman. Correct. The question he got that he got wrong, who was the Big 12 tournament MVP in 2013? 
Jeff Withy. Correct. He answered Ben McLemore. Correct. And pretty much, if you diagnose those questions, you basically come down to, it's a 50-50 basically answer either way. 2013, you're thinking, you should be thinking at least, it's Jeff Withy or Ben McLemore. 2018, you should be thinking it's Malik Newman or Devontae Graham. Okay, let's 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 pump the brakes here. You're moving way too quickly because what Connor did, and I found the tweet. Mm-hmm. He went back and responded to a tweet from yeah, that should be mentioned too. April 29th. This was from Max Fozzie. Max, ironically, beat or Max lost to Connor in the previous round. Yeah. So the question that Max got eliminated on, Connor was asked. Who did Kansas lose to in the 2015, or excuse me, the first round of the 2005 NCAA tournament? Answer is Bucknell. Answered that correctly. Max got asked, who did Kansas lose to in the second round of the 2000, no, or the 1998 NCAA tournament? The correct answer was Rhode Island. He didn't get it right. So Connor moved on because of that question. Then yesterday, he gets the Jeff Withy one wrong, and he goes, and Max complained that his question was too hard, right? He said, um, who, he said, and I'll read you the quote from, from Max. He said, my man's got, who did KU lose to in the 2006 NCAA tournament in the first round? And I got, who did KU lose to in the second round of the 1998 NCAA tournament? In the same difficulty category. I'm not mad. I just want to talk. Just want to talk. Sounds like you are mad. Connor responded last night by saying, I wasn't going to comment on this until I lost. But I was absolutely shocked at the difference in the questions. He's referring to the one that he won. He's, he's referring to the one where he guessed Bradley correctly and the other guy got the Rhode Island question wrong. Lesser degree today, parentheses, should have gotten it still. But with the Big 12 MVP compared to Newman Big 12 MVP from three years ago with most memorable March... In the past decade plus. Okay. So, not only does Connor think his question was harder than the other person's, he thinks he was absolutely shocked at how easy his question was and how hard the other person's was. Here's here's how this is going to go, okay? And this is for everybody who has competed, is still competing, is just listening for fun, okay? Here's how this works. Every single day, we get this list of questions. Every single day, Derek and I look at the list for today. We've got more than enough every single day. We've got double the amount we'll need for that day. And we go through every single question one by one, make sure they're correct first off. After that, we say, okay, these are the questions that are paired with one another. Every question has a pair. So these questions are not just random. Okay, they all are paired with another question. And every time we go through this, we say, are these questions fair? Are these questions in comparable difficulty level? And and we go back and forth. And sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we straight up remove a question. Sometimes we move it and pair it with a different question. Happens all the time. Every single day we do this. So there is effort being put into this, first off. So either you think that we're not trying or you think that we don't know what we're doing. And if you think we don't know what we're doing, that's fine. You, You are free to have that opinion. But if that opinion is predicated on the fact that because in both of these cases, one guy got a question about a 1998 team, the other one 2005. Result, guy who got the question about 2005 thinks that that question's easier than the one about 98. The guy who think, got the question from 98 thinks his question's harder. 
yesterday, guy got a question about 2013. He thinks his question's harder than a guy who got a question about 2018. I mean, the answer to the 2013 question, by the way, who is the Big 12 tournament MVP, Jeff Withey, let me remind you, if you may not have heard of him, because he's a pretty under, it's a it's a it's a hard, tough question because who who could have possibly figured out who who that was? Because he was only uh, two-time Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, first team All Conference as a senior, second team All American, NABC Defensive Player of the Year. He set the school record that Big Twelve tournament for most blocks in a Big Twelve tournament. So I mean, you had a fifty-fifty shot. It was Ben McLemore or Jeff Withy. You got Ben. You guess Ben McLemore. You get it wrong. Okay. As for the first one, and this is basically to everybody under the age of about twenty-five. And the, it's laughable that people under twenty-five think that anything that happened before the Bill Self era. Oh, how would I? How that was? Who could have guessed that? Here's who could have guessed that. Most KU fans. Because just because you started being a KU fan 15 years ago doesn't mean that's when KU history began. KU, the Kansas basketball program didn't start with, with uh, Bill Self. I know that's shocking, but the basketball program existed far b- before him. And to think that, oh, well, 98, who could have guessed that? Yeah, you're right, man. Who could have guessed who KU played in the last game of Rafe LaFrance and Paul Pierce's Kansas career? Because, I don't know, by just about every single damn metric, Rafe LaFrance and Paul Pierce are two of the ten greatest players to ever come through Kansas. Okay? That was a great, a great Kansas basketball team in 1998. And it was the end of an era because they got bounced early. And for the next three years, they kind of sucked until Nick Collison, Drew Gooden, and Kirk Heinrich came along. So who could have remembered that? A lot of people. Who Even if you didn't, we like, gave the context clue, Catino Mobley and the Rams. They were the Rams. Catino Mobley's not just like a random right. random guy, too. Okay, so, man, I'm losing my patience. I really am. <laughs> now, keep complaining, because I don't care. Because it is a free country. You are free to complain as much as possible. But the idea that because it happened a little bit longer ago, and that makes it therefore invalid, do your homework. Do your, My man Isaac gets a question about Bob Boozer. Okay. <laughs> Because we got we got three one seeds coming up today. We got Isaac, Tate, and Eric who are coming up today. And I believe they are some ridiculous record of like seventy-seven and three or seventy-seven and four all time on trivia questions. And again, this is an argument over was this question harder than that question? Right? That's what the that's what the discussion is. And you can have your subjective opinion. But if you get a question wrong, of course, of course you think that question was hard because you didn't know it. If you get a question right, of course that question was easier. Because why? Because you knew the answer. If you knew the other person's answer but didn't know yours, well, his question was easier. To you. This is all subjective. Do your homework. There's no reason why you shouldn't know who KU lost to in the last game of Paul Pierce and Rafe LaFrentz's career. There's no reason. There's no reason. Because for that era of fans, for the fans who were you know, 15 to 20 years old, that loss, that loss was their Northern Iowa loss. You think of Northern Iowa as one of the easiest losses to recall in your Kansas fandom. Congratulations on being 25. Because for a different generation of people, that loss was that. Because Rafe and Paul, that's one of the greatest duos. One of, And that's not hyperbole. That's one of the greatest duos 
in KU basketball history. So, but I didn't, oh, but I was four then. Then do your homework. I don't care. And it goes without saying, if you're not getting that question, you ain't winning. You ain't winning. You may have, you may have think you got slighted and you deserve to be in the next round. That's great. You can't get that. You're not winning this tournament because the guys who are going to win are getting that answer right. We had a guy, Brian, who got knocked out early last year. He's in the sizzling 16. Last week, it took him four seconds to answer who KU lost to without any context. To ask to answer who KU lost to in the Elite Eight of the, of the 1996 NCAA tournament. It took him four seconds to guess Syracuse. Okay, I didn't give him context clues. I didn't tell him who the star player was, and I didn't tell him what the mascot was. You guys got to come up with better excuses as to how you're getting screwed over, right? Everybody's getting screwed over. And yeah. I should say, this is just a segment of people. Like, most of the people who we have in this, awesome. And we enjoy having you on. We enjoy having you on every year. We enjoy coming on and chatting with you a few minutes, you know, before getting to learn more about you and stuff. So keep up the good work. But, yeah, just... And I'm not even trying to pick on these guys uh, because Connor's done well and I like him and and Max was first timer and he did well today. But I'm uh, this year. But I'm just saying this: if you are going to go on social media, because you guys keep doing this too, you're friendly on on the air yeah. when we're giving you a platform to talk about it, and then you go on social media, and then that's where you decide to to put us on blast to your 48 followers or whatever it is. I'm giving you a platform to talk about it. I'm giving it to you, but is there a reason why you don't want to say it on there? Is it because you make it? It may seem like you're being a poor loser. Listen, I like you guys. You're welcome to come back on RCST trivia. But if you're going to do this, if you're going to try and complain and call us out and saying we're doing a bad job, guess what? I got this microphone, and I'm going to call you out too. That's just the way it's going to work, and we can have a discussion. And if anybody wants to come on and talk about it, we can do that too. But come on. You got to come stronger with that. Well, his question was harder. Based off what? Based off what? So you now so now you know which questions are easier and harder because you guys have apparently been doing all the homework and and been diving through the media guides and coming up with these uh, hundreds if not thousands of questions. You right, you guys are the ones doing it. Or is it not that case? Rant over. Wow. That I could- thought I was going to be the one who had to do the rant today. Look at you. Just my knight in shining armor. I don't like I don't like being <laughs> described that way. I want to talk about Lance Leipold and this staff that he is assembling. He's bringing a lot of guys with him from Buffalo, guys in prominent positions. What's that tell us about what this team's going to look like next year? Let's talk about it coming up on the other side. We got Matt Tate of the LJ World joining us later this hour. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside, because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want it clean on the outside, because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. So yesterday, Lance Leipold, it was announced by Pete Thamel of Sports Illustrated that 
He's going to be bringing seven of his former assistants from Buffalo with him to join the staff at Kansas. Two of those guys were the offensive and defensive coordinators at Buffalo. Andy, man, I'm going to butcher this name. I need to hear somebody say it. Kotelnicki? I believe is how you say it. Or it could be Kotelnicki. That sounds junky. So I think it's Kotelnicki, who is the offensive coordinator. Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator. Most notably about these two guys, and there and there's more, um, there is... An interesting one, Ionello, who we'll have to talk about later, who has been at Kansas before. He was a head coach at Toledo. He went 1-11 both years there. Not, I don't know. We'll get to that later. Um, there is a, and he was an associate head coach. Uh, you're looking at a D, or an offensive line coach, a quarterbacks coach, wide receivers coach, special teams coordinator. Both the OC and the DC, Katelniki, and Borland were there the entirety of Leipold's tenure at Buffalo. At his press conference yesterday, Lance Leipold spoke a lot about continuity and consistently as it pertained to the coaching staff. He also said that you don't make a decision for one year. When you're in a rebuild, sometimes it can be tempting to make a decision to say, okay, just to get us through this year, we're going to do this one thing, but then after that we move. He's like, no, you start the rebuild now, and every decision you make is something that is going to help you in rebuilding the program. Well, nothing speaks continuity like bringing an OC and a DC with you who were there the entire time. you were there. Brian Borland was with him at Wisconsin Whitewater. Brian Borland was the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin Whitewater starting in 2002. So these guys are tied to the hip. Let's start first there with Borland. Borland is not going to be going, and he's not going to be dismissed after a year or two because, oh, we don't really like the, what, the job that you're doing. He's not going to go take another job somewhere else because finally he's getting the recognition. This dude has been with Lance Leipold the entirety of his head coaching career. I'd imagine that trend will continue. Nicky. Got there in 2014 with Lance Leipold. I'd imagine he will be at Kansas as long as Leipold is there. Now, maybe if if the offense is just unbelievable and he gets a head coaching job somewhere else, sure. Maybe that happens. But if we're talking about consistency, whether or not you think that's going to happen, there's no offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator that he could have either brought with him, hired, or kept from the current KU staff that you would have more comfort or confidence in that they are going to be with the team as long as Lance Leipold is there. And I think that is a huge start when you think about all the offensive coordinators that KU has had. I think Okay, so think about that, okay? This is interesting. Lance Leipold got to Buffalo in 2015. Same time David Beatty got to Kansas. So, from 2015 to 2000. 20. These are the offensive coordinators that KU had. John Reagan, Rob Likens, Doug Meekham, David Beatty, who made himself offensive coordinator twice, I think, as Scott Chasen pointed out earlier. Chip Lindsey, who never coached a game. Les Caning, coached like two games. Brent Deerman, Mike DeBoard, never coached a game. That's eight names since 2015. Offensive coordinator. You know what that means? Eight different offenses. In six years. So that was, a, I'm holding up a piece of paper. 
There are eight names on it. These are all of them. Yeah. These are all the names. Now I'm going to hold up another piece of paper. Okay. There's one name on it. <laughs> I don't think you need to show me a piece of paper for this. Andy Katelnicki. Mm. So in the same time that KU had eight offensive coordinators, Buffalo had one. Yeah, but if you're counting letters by last name. That's yeah. true. Certainly uh, not shy on the consonants there in Katelnicki. Consistency. Continuity. You do it with the coaching staff. That's where it starts. Is it a new guy every other year? This guy wants to do something just a little bit different. All right, we're gonna hire, we're gonna tweak some things on offense. We're bringing in a new OC. He's gonna run basically the same offense, but it's gonna be a little variation. He did this, and it's a it's a cool system. Consistency. Katelnicki's gonna be the offensive coordinator in 2021. He'll be the offensive coordinator in 2021, 22, 23, and as long as Lance Leipold is here. Brian Borland is going to be the defensive coordinator as long as Lance Leipold is here. I do not think it can be overstated just how huge that is for a program that has been dying for some semblance of stability over the past decade, at least in the coaching staff. Like, we don't know what, uh, there are so many different ways this could go, but we know at the very least those guys are going to be with him. And I feel confident that even if you don't get the results that you're looking for on offense, because that's where it starts a lot of times from the fans and the media. Get this guy out of here. This guy sucks. The offense sucks. You got to fire him. You got to fire him. It's got to be somebody else. I don't know if that'll happen. What I do know is if it does happen, those guys aren't getting fired. And when you look at some of the numbers, right, you look at what those guys did at their previous spot at Buffalo. Let's start first with the defense. Because the defense, the last couple of years, when they've really had it going, I mean, the last three years are effectively why Lance Leipold got hired here. Not because of a, a full body of work of six years that was all great. It was because it, it was bad at first. And then what happened? Turned it around. Went to three straight bowl games, one, two straight. The breakthrough year was in 2018 when they went... 10-4. and four. I believe they lost in the MAC championship game. Went on to a bowl game. Lost the bowl game. They lost their starting quarterback, Tyree Jackson, as well as their two leading receivers from that year. You thought they'd take a step back because they had new guys to replace on offense. And they did. The offense was did take a step back in 2019. But what happened? The defense all of a sudden stole the show. In 2019, Buffalo allowed 21 points per game. That was 26th in the country. They allowed 4.7 yards per play. That was 14th in the country. They had an SP+, which is Bill Conley's ranking metric, of 45th. This past year, when they only played seven games, went 6-1. and one. Defense, once again... Allowed 22 points per game. That ranked 30th. Yards per play, they allowed 5. That ranked 24th. SP Plus ranking 47th. That's where I want to start because that's where I think KU's best bet at, at finding some sort of solid footing is in the near future, whether that's this year or the next two years. We saw it last year. A lot of the young guys, the sophomores and the freshmen on defense, started to step up, fit into bigger roles. Karam Prunty, Kenny Logan, like names like that are the ones we're going to look out for. 
I don't know how good Kansas' defense is going to be. I think from a talent perspective, they shouldn't be the worst defense in the Big 12. They should not be the defense last year that was one of the worst defenses nationally. There's a correlation there between what the offense is doing as well. I get it. But if you have faith in what Brian Borland was able to do with that Buffalo defense, um, I I would be pretty optimistic as to exactly uh, what these guys are going to be bringing with them. Same thing with the offense, too, man. And the offense was horrible when, when Lance Leipold showed up. Again, Kotelnicki was the, was the offensive coordinator the whole time. They ranked 101st in his first year, 125th in year two. And it took about two and a half years for them to sort of lay the foundation and start to build this thing up. Because in year three was when they went 6-6. Six and six. They didn't go to a bowl game, but they had a bad start. And I think they reeled off three—they were 3-6 uh, and six and then reeled off three straight wins— just to get to 500. And then, like I said, year, year four, four was when you had the big breakthrough. And it's not because they were just elite on either side of the ball. They had the 47th ranked defense and the 83rd ranked offense. Or excuse me, backwards. 47th ranked offense, 83rd ranked defense. It was just good enough, man. It was just good enough. And since then, they've been really consistent. They're essentially, like last year, top 50 on both sides of the ball. Which at Buffalo, that's about as good as you can expect to get. You're not going to get much. You're not going to be top 25 on offense unless you're. Just, I mean, because this is SP plus, so it's taking into account who you're playing, and you're playing in the MAC, so you're never going to be seen as having elite units on either side of the ball. So I think both from a success standpoint and from a consistency standpoint, it's hard to see this as anything but an overwhelming positive thing. Like, yes, there are specific names I think you want to retain. And the big one is Emmett Jones, maybe to a lesser extent, Quan Drake, because he seems to be very well liked as the defensive line coach. Aside from that, man, I don't think there's anybody who you would look at and say they absolutely have to be here next year. Mm-hmm. Come in, set the foundation, and you do it with the guys that you want to set the foundation with. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean that, you know, those guys are lesser coaches or anything. Like, you hope they get jobs somewhere else. And surely you were at a Power 5 school. You you think you would. Um, it's just about that that trust, that knowing that you're all on the same page, because that's what this is about. This staff isn't coming in trying to wow you with flash. This staff is coming in trying to develop you, trying to change the culture of this program. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that trust among your guys, and you have to have that with guys that you know you have gone to battle with over these last six years that you know you've gone through different rebuilding processes with because you know it's going to be hard again. And now you're starting back from square zero where you were when you started at Buffalo. You want guys that you know you can weather those storms with. We're going to talk more about this with Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's going to join us coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So I tweeted this out last week when it was very apparent that the final two candidates for this job were Jeff Munkin and Lance Leipold. And I think I tweeted out that I wanted to preemptively declare that Lance Leipold or Jeff Munkin had won the press conference because you knew it was going to happen because you knew you were going to have a head coach sit in front of a microphone, speak coherently, concisely, and intelligently about football and the job that he was taking over. And there are some aspects of what I just described that wouldn't necessarily apply to the last coach or maybe even the coach before that. So therefore, just by comparison, it was going to be impossible not to be impressed by either one of those guys when they had their first appearance as the KU head coach. And I think that would be the case. Because Lance Leipold 
sounded intelligent talking about football, which should be the case for a guy who spent decades and decades around the sport. But it was just a breath of fresh air, a breath of fresh air to hear Lance Leipold talk yesterday. Did he win the press conference? Matt Tate of the LJ World joins us now on the show. Both Travis Goff and Les My- and uh, Jeff Long had virtually the exact same things to say about the guys who they hired. They talked about how uh, they they wanted a program builder. They talked about um, a man of high integrity or high character. They talked about a proven winner. They talked about the right fit at the right time. Like It was almost eerie the way they talked about it, and I thought to myself, okay, well, it's not a knock on either one of them, but this is just what people say at press conferences. So I kind of pushed Bingo. That. I pushed that to the side. What does matter, though? What matters when you're trying to figure out exactly what the next, hopefully, five, six-plus years of Lance Leipold is going to look like at Kansas? I think, well, as far as what mattered yesterday specifically, I, I think the one, the one big thing that I want to see in that setting, and then I'll, I'll answer the, the, the actual question too, but, but when you look at yesterday – I, I want to see a guy who's, who's, who doesn't hesitate, who doesn't have to think, who doesn't pause, who doesn't get taken, taken off guard by any questions. I, I want a guy who, who sits there and has the answers to what's being asked. And, and that doesn't mean they're all the right answers or that he gets up there and he promises to push all the right buttons because, frankly, he hasn't been at Kansas yet. And he may be as well-prepared as anybody could be, he may be exactly the, the DNA that KU needs in its football coach, but he's still going to be in for some surprises when he gets started in this job. It's just the nature of the beast, and, and, and it's been true with every coach that's ever sat in that chair. So he's got some surprises coming, and, and there's going to be some days that are tougher than he could even imagine right now. But what, what you saw yesterday was a, a guy who, I mean, this is not a guy who, who is you know, going to – wing it right he's not well if this is what i have to do this is what i'll do or or maybe we should try this because that's kind of all the rage in college football now maybe i'll try that the guy who does things his way has always done them his way and believes in what he does and the fact that it works And, and so that continuity he talked a lot about that right i mean the continuity the, the commitment to a to a plan and the commitment to um, just just coaching football the way you know how to coach I mean all that presented itself so clearly yesterday to me so you know there there was there was no uh, rambling there were there was no fumbling over words there there was nothing like that that made me think oh man he might not know what he's doing or oh he wasn't ready for that question I mean he had the answer to every question that was asked and, and you know some of them were tough questions some of them are are new questions for him so it's not like he could have just had the answers to the test and, and, you know, done a cram session the night before and been ready for whatever's coming. I mean, there are things that, that he probably has never had to answer. But but he hit everyone. He hit it square. And, and you know, he appeared to be very comfortable up there. So I thought that was really important and, and, and a big part of what mattered yesterday, something that I was looking for. Um, as far as what matters going going forward and into the future, I mean, Two things, right? The obvious is winning football games. But before you get to that point, I think what really matters is that this guy sticks to his plan and, and, and does what he says he's going to do. And, and I don't have any concern for KU that that's going to be an issue with him. I mean, again, he's done that throughout his career at both of those stops, and, and he's done it to a very, very successful level. So I think that, that for him, 
sticking to that philosophy and, and, and digging in and, and really committing to the approach, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the easiest parts of the job for him because that's just what he does and what he's known. And, and so I, I think that that's what will ultimately matter. And if that proves to be successful at this level the way it was at the other two levels, then you start crawling toward maybe winning some games. And, and, and I loved how he you know, presented that, hey, the first thing we got to do is be there in the fourth quarter. Let's start there. So, you know, he's not promising victories. Did he talk about championships? He did. But that's because that's what coaches do, man. They're all in it to, to win at the highest level. Um, but, but when you listen to him beyond just the word championships, you listen to uh, him talk about one day at a time. You, you listen to him talk about not being afraid to, to get some help and, and to get input and to do it with, with other people. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like there. And, and it's way more than just uh, – you know, one guy saying, I've got all the answers. In fact, he said, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to go find them. And, and, and I think that's, that's the kind of stuff you want to hear because this is a coach who isn't just advertised as a program builder, but now he's proving that he knows what that means and, and he knows what it takes to do that. And his, his track record and, and his resume certainly show that, but it's something different in my mind to hear the words come from the horse's mouth it just it just puts you in a whole different mindset of, of really believing that maybe this guy actually can do this. Talking to Matt Tate of the LJ World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So we're starting to get a sense of what this coaching staff is going to look like. I think there's uh, seven guys so far that have been announced are coming over from Buffalo to join Leipold's staff. We don't know exactly who the holdovers are going to be, but a theme at the press conference yesterday, Matt, was continuity, consistency on the coaching staff. What's your take on the guys that are coming in specifically? looks like he's bringing in a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, both of whom were with him uh, the entirety of his time at Buffalo. I don't think you can say enough about that. I think that's massive um, because when you listen to him talk about continuity and how important it is, when, when you bring a staff together that's a bunch of guys that have never worked together before or come from new places and, and all that stuff like we've seen over and over here, it takes time. It takes time for those guys to, to get on the same page and, and learn how to work together and, and learn how to you know uh, push the same agenda and, and promote the same things. And, and, and so, in a sense, KU's getting to skip that step here because he's bringing so many guys with him that, that – that are well-versed in his philosophy and his style and his approach. And, and so I think that that helps so much. Um, it, it, it's not a head start by any means because you're still starting over. You're still rebuilding. But it definitely pushes that continuity thing right out of the gate. And, and it, it, these kids are going to start hearing messages from their position coaches and in their film rooms and, and on the practice field and things like that that sound familiar across the board. So the linebackers will listen to their guy, and he's saying this, this, and this. Well, that's all Lance Leipold stuff. It's all Lance Leipold's teaching. It's all his message. It's all his philosophy and his approach and his schemes and all that. And then you're going to hear the same in, 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 in the cornerback's room or in the O-line room or with the offensive coordinator in front of the offense or whatever it is. And, and, and all of a sudden, that, that continuity is, is not just a word that sounds good and, and something that has to be developed over time. But it's something that you can feel pretty pretty early, and, and I think these kids will tap into that and understand that. Holy cow, this this feels different. This is something that 
you know, we kind of feel like we're an established program already. Even though we're all new to each other, those guys aren't new to each other. The coaches have worked together a long, long time, and, and, and I, I just can't, can't see that as anything other than an unbelievable positive uh, foot to start out on. So, you know, that, that's obviously not the whole staff, and, 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 and yeah, you're going to have to have some, um, some of these guys, if there are some guys retained like Emmett Jones or Quan Drake or whoever, um, you know, those guys are going to have to get up to speed uh, on that, so it won't be seamless by any means. But what I like about Leipold is the fact that, you know, he, he, he doesn't believe that he's got all the answers and that he knows the only way how to do it. I think he'll view, if he ends up keeping Emmett Jones, I think he'll view what Emmett Jones just did this spring as a very, very valuable asset. And, and uh, you heard Sam Burt after the spring game talk about the, the idea of, of the culture change and the culture uh, steps forward and progress that was made this spring was unlike anything he'd ever seen, and he's been around five years. I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff, and, and that's credit to Emmett Jones and, and, and some of those other guys as well. So you, you, if, if you're Lance Leipold, you look at that and you hear that, and, and you go, okay, well, I like the sound of that. How can I bring a little of that flavor into what I already do with my guys and let's put it all together now and, and, and make it a really good thing that, that when this summer hits, our guys are ready to work. And, and they know how to work for Emmett. Go on. I think we lost Matt. Uh, maybe that was the end of his thought. They know how to work for Emmett. Right? Uh, Matt Tate of the LJ World with us, maybe, on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Uh, looks like that's a negative. But um, we're about out of time anyway. Uh, we have to take a break here in just a couple of minutes. But... It's an interesting point that he's making there because if you did catch this, Sam Burt, after the game, talked about just how impressive the culture improvements have been since the spring when Emmett Jones took over and started leading this program. When you think about what Leipold had to do at Buffalo when he got to a program that had absolutely nothing going, they had no culture, they had to start over I mean, they had to tear down the house and rebuild it from scratch. That's not exactly what's happening here. Now, there's not a lot of positives to to speak of, but it's certainly a better place to start from when you're getting to a program where you don't have a bunch of players who don't have good relationships with their coaches or don't feel like they're being utilized properly, where you've got a bunch of kids who are disgruntled or who are looking for a way out or entering the transfer portal. That's not happening here. And you couldn't necessarily say that for some of the coaching changes that we've seen. I think back to the Charlie Weiss era. He got here, a bunch of guys left. By the time he left, there were even less still around, right? You had, that, that was when you had to have a coach, David Beatty, who had never done it before, come in and try and establish a culture. But unfortunately for David Beatty, he didn't know how to establish a culture. He'd never done it before. Then in came Les Miles, who I guess you would say you'd have to say was a part of establishing that culture if for no other reason than he put a staff together that a lot of guys seem to like. Now, there were some coaches. I'm not going to name names specifically. Maybe they'll come up in you know coming weeks and months once they're no longer with the team because I don't think they'll be with the team. But I know there were coaches that players didn't like and, they, and co- other coaches didn't want to coach for. If you can come in and rectify that and say, okay, there's a good culture in place. Guys seem to be... There's at least a culture of acceptance and there's a culture of okay we've got guys who get along that much is a start the next part of that is 
how do we establish a winning culture? You can have a positive culture. Lance Leipold's job is now going to take that positive culture and turn it into a winning culture, which I don't have to tell anybody this, but there has not been a winning culture at Kansas for quite some time. I'm Nick Schwartz. He's Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Quick shout out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese. The Haney Turkey Stack or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. All right, so we only had one matchup yesterday. It was the uh, the 3-2 matchup from the Midwest region. We saw Ryan moving on. That was a very chalky region. The West, it's not super chalky because we do have a seven seed, but we do still have the one, the three, the four seeds alive. Last week, Derek dubbed this the region of death. I would tend to agree at least from the sense of, I think all four of these guys have a shot at emerging from this region. Therefore, I think all four, Tate, Brian, Alex, Andrew, all have a chance of winning the whole thing. So yes, this is the region of death in the West region. And one of these next two contestants is going to make it on to the great eight. It's the 1-4 matchup. Between Tate and Brian, our winner today receives an RCST Adidas hat from River Rep Print and Skate, $40 to Hawaiian Bros, $25 to 23rd Street Brewery, and automatic entry into next year's RCST trivia. But more than that, I think the winner of today automatically is going to be amongst the top one or two favorites in the Vegas odds book to win the whole thing. Tate, Brian, welcome back to RCST trivia. Tate, you've been here before. You know what it's all about, but... You're going up against an opponent who has some limited experience from last year, but so far this year has sort of reinvented himself to the point where he is quickly becoming one of the uh, one of the guys that you have to watch out for in this tournament. So how do you feel ahead of this matchup against Brian Tate? Um, a mixture of excited but also nervous. I think Brian knows his stuff. Uh, I also think I'm due for like a longer matchup. My round of 32 matchup was only – I only had to answer one question. So I think the law of averages uh, in the sizzling 16 will mean I probably have to answer more than one to uh, to defeat Brian. Yeah, probably so. That tends to happen. Although there have been some people who have, you know, were in it last year and again this year. I think we had someone who was in five or six different rounds and only had to answer like 13 questions. So some people get lucky, but you're right. You do enough of these matchups over time. You're bound to get a longer one. We'll see if that happens today. Brian four seed you didn't make it very far last year but you have been on cruise control through the first two rounds you had a dominant performance last week in your win over leslie so you got to be feeling pretty confident here oh i feel okay i've studied my opponent and really i'm just happy to be here i'm not sure if i have a shot you're not he, sure if good. you have a shot I, I have i have no chance because he's that good but yeah he's easy he rope it down. Got to butter him up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Get him, get him fat I'm just and happy. happy to be here. Yeah, there we go. We know what you're doing, Brian. All <laughs> right, guys. Well, I think both of you guys are worthy competitors. Let's see who's going to come out on top. You guys know the deal by now. Nothing's going to be changed from your last matchup. We're going to have four difficulty tiers of questions. The questions will get more progressively difficult as you answer them correctly. You have 30 seconds to answer, and we'll play you a five-second warning 
When there's five seconds left on the clock, you're going to hear this ticking sound. Make sure you get an answer off before Eric Collins yells. Otherwise, you have run out of time, and you have run out of luck. Brian, you're the four seed. You have the option of answering first or second. What's it going to be? I'll go second. All right, Tate, question number one for you. Tate, who led Kansas in scoring in the 2011 season, the year they lost to VCU in the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament? I believe that was uh, Marcus Morris. That was Marcus Morris. Brian, question number one for you. In 2013, Kansas was led in scoring by a freshman. He would go on to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. What was his name? Ben McLemore. That's right, Ben McLemore. One for one for both you guys. Moving on to the next tier of questions. And Tate, we go back to you. Tate, the last time KU played a one seed in the NCAA tournament, came in 2018 against who? That would have been against uh, Villanova. Yeah, Villanova. An absolute beatdown in the uh, Final Four game there in San Antonio. Who could forget? Brian, question number two for you. The last time KU played a three seed in the NCAA tournament came in 2017 against who? 2017... Wait, wait, wait. Freezing up. Think through it. Maryland. That is incorrect. Brian, do you remember who KU lost to in the 2017 NCAA tournament? Yes, I was at that game. <laughs> mm, you know it, was it. it was Oregon. You know it now, don't you? Yep. Yeah, it was Oregon. The second you're off the clock, all of a sudden, mental clarity hits you. Yeah. Right? I won tickets to that game, too. My goodness. Yeah, Oregon was a three seed in 2017 when they took down Frank Mason and the Jayhawks in the Sprint Center. And you were there for it. Brian, how does it feel? I I know you knew it. I know you knew it. I mean, last week we heard you recall who they lost to in the 1996 Elite Eight, and it took you about four seconds. Take me through what you're feeling right now and and what went through your head there. I froze up. I got tight. I I played soft, like Coach (laughs) said. So so I knew it, but... But, hey, good luck. Good luck on the next round. Hey, I'll be back next year. Brian, you're, uh, you know, you you kept your head up. You, you made it farther than you did a year ago. And you're not going home empty-handed, right? You're still getting the RCST t-shirt. You're still getting uh, $20 to CBD of Lawrence. Tate, you were wrong. You were wrong. Uh, this was not going to be a long matchup for you. Another two questions, and you're back into the grade eight. You haven't even really had to break a sweat this year. Yeah, I'll take it, I guess. I mean, However, I can get there. I can only play the opponent who's in front of me, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, excited to be back in the grade eight. Um, one more win away from returning to the Fab Four. What are you guys calling it? Goes, phenomenal Fab. I think we phenomenal. do it with Phenomenal yeah. Four. Okay. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm trying to get you guys in, in trouble Thank with copyright you. issues. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Brian, I think I think a lot of people forget Oregon was the three because it was in the Elite Eight, which makes you think they were a two. Um, so, but props to you, man. 
All right. Good luck. Great sportsmanship, Thanks. Brian. Thank you, Tate. We'll see you in the next round, man. Thanks, guys. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and taproom located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. So three matchups today, all three of them featuring one seeds. We just heard our first one seed make it into the great eight. That is Tate, who moved on by beating Brian. And we've got another one seed up next, taking on a five seed Kevin. Eric and Kevin going at it here in the South region. Kevin, much like our uh, one of the contests we just heard from, Ke- Kevin was in the, the field last year. But this year has sort of taken it to new heights, right? Early exit, but now all of a sudden in the round of 16. But he's trying to keep it going. Kevin, how are you going to do that? How are you going to keep the momentum going and uh, take down our third-place finisher from a year ago? Well, I'm, I'm just going to try my best. I, I probably got a little bit lucky, I'll be honest with you, making it through the last round since I missed two questions, but my opponent missed two as well, so... Um, I'm going to have to do a lot better than that or I'm going to be finishing right here right now. Well, maybe you got your bad round out of the way. Maybe you got your stinker out of the way and you were fortunate enough to move on, as you mentioned. So maybe it'll be smooth sailing from here. You know, that happens all the time. Teams get on the ropes in the NCAA tournament. You think it's over. They don't have it, but they get it out of the way. And then all of a sudden, there's a new level of clarity. We'll see if that's the case for you, Kevin. But as as we know... You're not taking on a slouch. He's a one seed for a reason. He was our third place finisher from a year ago. Eric, back in the sizzling 16, trying to make it to the great eight. Eric, how are you feeling? You know, I think uh, I heard a one seed down uh, maybe earlier this week or last week. So um, a little pressure off the table just to not be that first uh, overall one seed to go down. So feeling good. Maybe not quite house money, but uh, a little a little bit uh, more comfortable than I was last week. You already, both of you guys have already secured some prizes, but if you're able to win again, the prize is going to start to accumulate. Up for grabs today, an RCST Adidas hat from River Rat Print and Skate. $40 to Hawaiian Bros, $25 to 23rd Street Brewery. An automatic entry into the 2022 edition of RCST Trivia, which, I mean, at that point, who knows how good the prizes are going to be. Okay, Eric, Kevin, you guys have been in this long enough. You know how it works. Nothing changed from the last time you guys were here. We still have four levels of questions. You will advance through those levels, which will get progressively more and more difficult as you answer correctly. Still 30 seconds on the clock, which starts as soon as I get done asking the question, and we will play you a five-second warning that sounds like that. When you hear that ticking sound, say something. Don't say nothing. Otherwise, you're automatically getting it wrong. Eric, Kevin... You guys got anything for me before we get it started? Good luck. Good luck. All right, Kevin. You have the option of answering first or second. What's it going to be? Well, I've gone first in my first few matches, so I'll just stick with that. I'll go first. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Kevin, question number one is for you then. What KU guard led the team in assists per game in both 2009 and 2010? Sharon Collins. Sharon Collins is correct. Kevin. Oh, no. Excuse me. Eric, question number one for you. 
Eric, what KU guard led the team in assists per game in both 2011 and 2012? The Tyshawn Taylor? That's right, Tyshawn Taylor, the heir apparent, so to speak, for Sharon Collins. All right, back to you now, Kevin, for your second question. Kevin, Danny Manning is KU's all-time leading scorer. Who is second on that list? Nick Collison. Nick Collison is correct, and if you've been listening to RCST Trivia, that was the layup because that one's come up in a couple different variations, but that is right. Nick Collison is number two. Eric, back to you. KU has three players who have reached 2,000 or more career points. You just heard both of them, or two of them, excuse me. Danny Manning is one. Nick Collison is two. Who is third on that list? Grateful Friends. That's right. Again, if you've been listening, those ones are pretty easy. So we've been testing, seeing if you guys are doing your homework and you guys both passed the test. Okay, here we go. Round number three. It is the sizzling 16. Eric, Kevin, going at it in the South region. And we go back to Kevin now for his third question. Kevin, from December 3rd until the end of the regular season, the 1996-1997 Kansas team was ranked number one in the AP poll. What was the lowest they were ranked in the AP poll that season? Well, I know that they were they were behind Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati was actually number one to start that year. Um, so it's either probably two or three. I'm gonna say third. You were close, man. You were close. It was two. It was two. It was two. So you had it. You had, you were all over it. It was a 50-50 shot. You went with three. And uh, with that, Eric, you have the chance of securing a berth in the grade eight if you can answer this question correctly. Eric, how many losses did Kansas have in 1988 en route to the national championship? Total season losses. Total season losses. It's double digit. Feel like. For some reason, 11 sticking out. I'll go 11. Wow. 11 is correct. 27 and 11 was Kansas's record in 1988. Eric, you pulled it out at the last second, and you pull out the victory. You're moving back to the grade eight. That was tense. You were up against it, but you were able to get it right. How much of a guess was that? What was your level of certainty on that on 11? Uh, 33%. I mean, I, I feel like double digits, I for sure was thinking that, but it was between 10 or 11 and 12. And for some reason, that just I'm seeing 11 stick out as, you know, somewhere in a banner in the field house or something. <laughs> For you, Kevin, that's tough when the, when it's a 50-50, right? When you know it's basically you got two right. options and you know it's one of those two and you basically just had to pick one. Went with 3-2. It's got to be 
it's got to be a little bittersweet here to, to be going home on one like that where you just kind of had to had to throw something out there. Well, and that was the, the bad part is of 96, 97 was my favorite team. That, that was when I was kind of, you know, becoming a KU fan. So mm-hmm. I, I know, feel like I know most about that team since I watched, you know, all of them when I was growing up. And like you said, it was just, I couldn't remember if it was, they started lower, they started right there too, but yep. it's okay. I, I made it further this year and I'll, I'll try to come back next year and do better than that. So. Yeah, you did great yeah, because it was, they, they were preseason number two, as you mentioned, behind Cincinnati. And the next two AP polls, they were second and second. And the rest of the way were number one. How so. do I remember Cincinnati was number one? Why do I even know that part? But, you know. <laughs> hey, by the way, can we uh, pop some champagne? I don't know. That might be a little too much. But Eric is the first one to ever reach 30 correct trivia answers. What's his record? 31 and one. Wow. Congratulations oh. to you, Eric. So, yeah, pop some champagne, do something to celebrate. You've certainly earned it, but uh, your work's not done quite yet because we still will be awaiting to see who you're going to be taking on in the grade eight and see if you can make it back to the Phenomenal Four. But, Eric, congratulations. You're moving on. Kevin, you did great. Hope to see you again next year, man. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa, or call 785 749 Four eight zero eight. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. Have you still not heard? MLS is back and Sporting Kansas City is back in action. After finishing first in the Western Conference last season, Sporting KC is back in action and hungrier than ever to paint the wall. The best part is you can watch Polito, Russell, Busio, and the rest of our boys in Sporting Blue live in a limited capacity crowd again this season. To attend a match in person, Go to SeatGeek.com slash SKC and be sure to use code SKCRCST at checkout to receive an exclusive discount just for being a Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener. Again, use code SKCRCST at SeatGeek.com slash SKC before it's too late. All right, so we had one one seed eliminated in the round of 32. That was Liam who lost to Tyler on Friday. Today, we've already seen two one seeds go up, and both of them moved on to the grade eight. We've got one more matchup today. We've got one more one seed and one more contestant standing in that one seed's way to try and pull off what I would believe to be the upset of RCST trivia. Not because nobody thinks a five seed could beat the one seed, but because it's the defending champ, and he's been on a roll since May of last year. That would be the number one overall seed, your defending champ, the Wonderkind, Isaac, the one seed in the Midwest, taking on the five seed, Kyle. Kyle had, I think, the longest matchup that we've had ever in RCST trivia a week ago. Is there still some exha- exhaustion and some fatigue that you're dealing with this week, Kyle? It was it was a uh, it was a tough uh, it was a tough go, but um, we discussed about it. We were we were very defense focused that match. We were just making sure that the opponent was not going to score. So uh, uh, doesn't mean that we're going to score as well either. But hopefully this time around we score a little bit more and keep up with the opponent, who's obviously uh, one of the greatest who's ever done this. Yes, yeah, seven rounds that matchup 
you had last week uh, against Kevin where you came out victorious. You just mentioned everybody knows who Isaac is. Uh, what, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to knock off the top dog here in RCST Trivia? You know, right now I'm just playing with house money, so I'm just going to be aggressive, go with what my gut is, and we'll just uh, see where it goes from there. I'm not going to overthink anything. I'm, I've already made it. To, uh, I've already had one upset. You know, I've, I've been an underdog and uh, won, so right now I'm just going with the flow, and let's just do it. I like that. You know, have a just have a strategy. Who knows? It'll be a good strategy if you win. It'll be a bad strategy if you lose. But at least you have a strategy that you're going with. That's the way to approach it, Kyle. Isaac, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. You've, you've made a bit of a heel turn this year. Last year, you were the hero, the underdog, wonderkind. This year, you've sort of went Hulk Hogan in WO and sort of transformed into the villain of RCSD Trivia. Do you see that as the role? that you're obligated to fulfill in this tournament? It was it was definitely more fun playing the underdog role, um, calling out all the media pundits that were doubting me. Um, <laughs> but this year I got I, I wear the target on my back every day. And, you know, if that's what it, if that's what it takes, it's what it takes. Well, that is what it takes. And you've played the villain role well, and it's got you this far. How much farther can it get you? We're about to find out the 1-5 matchup in the Midwest region between Isaac and Kyle. You guys know the deal by now. Uh, everything's exactly the same as your last matchup. Four difficulty tiers of questions. The questions get more progressively difficult as we move throughout the rounds. You still have 30 seconds to answer. That timer begins. As soon as I get done asking the question, we will play you a five-second warning. It sounds like this. When you hear that, you're running out of time, so get something off before Eric Collins yells, oh, otherwise automatically getting it wrong. Kyle, you are the five seed. Do you want to answer first or second? So second. Real quick, before we start here, I want to add something because yeah. this reminded me with Isaac Up. We've had some people answer things with the last name of people. We had a question last week or whenever Isaac was last on where he answered with the full name. He got the first name wrong, the last name right. If you just answer the last name and it's correct, you get it right. If you just yeah. answer the first name, no. But if you answer the whole name, you leave yourself out to more possibility of answering wrong. So just throwing that out there. Okay, that's a good tip. That's right. You know, if you say, well, Wiggins isn't a good one because I don't know what was that guy's first name. But, um, yeah, you know the deal. Give yourself the best chance to move on. Okay, Kyle, you said you wanted to go first? I'm going second. You're going second. Okay, that was so long ago. Derek talked for so long, <laughs> I forgot exactly what you answered. Okay, Isaac, first question's for you. Isaac, KU last played in the Final Four in 2018. Who did they lose to? In that game. Villanova. Yep, that is right. Kyle, question number one for you. Prior to that, KU's last Final Four appearance was in 2012. Who did they lose to in the national championship game that year? Kentucky. All right, next round of questioning. And we're going back to you now, Isaac. Isaac, what big man was the Big Eight Newcomer of the Year in the 1984-1985 season? Danny Manning. Had quite the career for the Jayhawks, did that Danny Manning. Who would have known? Kyle, question number two for you. Despite playing just two seasons at Kansas, this former Jayhawk big man currently ranks 26th on the all-time scoring list for KU with over 1,400 career points. Who is it? Two years? I mean, Will. 
Chamberlain. <laughs> I guess we can make an That's exception. That's one we can take the first name. We yeah. can make like an exception. You Doka. Yeah. Like, which one? Right. Yeah. Okay. That is correct. Will Chamberlain at 26th all time in just two years. All right. There we go. Two for two. Last matchup of the day. It's a good one. Isaac and Kyle duking it out in the Midwest region. Let's uh, let's change the mood here a little bit, Derek, because things are starting to get tense between Isaac and and Kyle, Isaac, we go back to you for your third question. Isaac, after Danny Manning won Big 8 Player of the Year three consecutive times, who was the next Jayhawk to win the award in the 1990s? Um, I'll say Jock Vaughn. <laughs> that is correct. There were a couple of names that could have popped up that, that were like first-team all, Big Ape. We've heard Adonis Jordan mm-hmm. a ton, Rex Walters. Dude, Rex Walters was a two-time first-team all, but Mark none Randall. of those guys. Yeah, yeah, Mark Randall. First-team, but I was like, I don't know if they won. I remember seeing their name on the list. So. That's right. Jock Vaughn is correct. Kyle, next question for you. Winning one Big 12 Player of the Year award... This former Bill Self point guard, who is currently on the school's top five list for all-time assists. Who is it? Can you repeat that first part? This player won one Big 12 Player of the Year award. A former Bill Self point guard, currently on the top, the school's top five list for all-time assists. I said I'm going to be aggressive and go with first gut, Frank Mason. What would would have been your second instinct? I mean, Aaron Miles, but I don't think he was, I don't think he was ever a Big 12 player of the year. So I was thinking Sharon. It was actually Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham. So, yeah, Frank, Frank comes to mind a lot. I think the, the only distinction really between those two guys is Frank was, more consistent score and obviously had that incredible year as a senior, but Devonte, the assist numbers were always consistently just a little bit higher. You went with your gut, you went with your plan. It didn't get you that one, but it still got you this far into the round of 16. Kyle, no, keep your head held high. How are you feeling, man? I'm, you know, I'm good. I, uh, I had a feeling when I was listening in, uh, uh, that it was going to be Isaac who I was going up against when the brackets were released. So I already knew I was up against a, uh, a tough, a tough draw. I was just hoping to make the 16 Yeah, and kind of go from there. I made it to the 32 last year, 16 this year. So next year, the grade eight is where I'm going to be uh, and take it from there. That's right. This is like a team that's maybe filled a bunch of freshmen. They get knocked out early, but you say, okay, they bring everybody back. They get some experience. You did something with that experience. So yeah, maybe next year is the year you break through, make it to the, uh, the grade eight or even further. Isaac, you were kind of going back and forth there with Jacques Vaughn, but you landed on the right answer. How'd you get to it? Um, there was a couple other names, like you mentioned. Those early 90s teams were pretty good. A lot of all big eight people. Um, but I knew Jacques Vaughn won the last year, and I had to say, and I had to say an answer. I knew of somebody that won um, the award. So There you go. That's a good strategy. Well, the villain, his reign continues. I don't know. I don't know who you're going to be up against. Oh, yeah, we do. You're going to be taking on Ryan, the three seed. And Yeah, uh, no, that was, I was listening yesterday. They say they want the matchup. <laughs> you come at the king. 
You better not miss. <laughs> there we go. Kyle is shaking his head. He knows what it's like to go up against the king. It is tough sledding, and Isaac is moving on. Kyle, you did great, my man. Isaac, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said. Congratulations. Uh, no surprise that we'll be seeing you in the next round. Thank See you. you, fellas. Yesterday around this time, uh, there was a report from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports that Lance Leipold going to bring over a good handful of assistant coaches from his staff at Buffalo, including an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coach, associate head coach. Uh, you got a quarterbacks coach in there. You've got an offensive lines coach. So a lot of important guys at least to Leipold, that he's going to be bringing with him. A lot of these guys spent the entire tenure of Lance Leipold at Buffalo, so it's not like they're a guy who he worked with for a couple of years. No, they came in with him from day one, and they're leaving with him, and that kind of speaks to the continuity that Leipold spoke about at his press conference yesterday. Let's talk more about what this staff could look like and what that means for KU on the field with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, who joins us now on the show. Kevin, just before we get into some of these guys specifically, you heard Coach Lance Leipold yesterday speak about continuity, specifically with the coaching staff. When you see the guys, and not just the amount of them, but the specific roles that those guys filled for Leipold at Buffalo, what does that sort of indicate to you about what his philosophies are when assembling this coaching staff? Well, I'll be honest with you, Nick. You know, I, I've been talking to some former KU coaches, you know, and assistant coaches kind of through the whole search process. And, and one of the things that one of them had said to me was, if it is a sitting head coach, watch and see how many of his, his guys he brings along with him. And, and I thought it was interesting because he he finished sort of that thought by saying, if a sitting head coach and he comes in and he brings all new guys – that that's a trouble sign because you don't have the trust level. You don't have, you don't understand if that staff is going to work together. If you're an assistant coach, obviously that's what you're drawing from. And so it, it, that's what you're doing. But he said that a good sitting head coach who would come to Kansas and the type of coach who would find success would bring a lot of his staff members with him. And there would be that continuity that you're talking about. Because they, they know they can trust each other. They've been through games together. They've recruited together. They they know what each other look for in, in players. They know how things want or, or need to be handled. And that's not to say that you can't have new guys or, or you know keep some of the guys from the previous staff, but you want that coach to bring along a significant portion of the guys that he's comfortable with because ultimately – those are those are the guys that have his ear early on, and if he trusts them and there's more of them in there, you know, I, I think you're you're better positioned for success. Yeah, and when you compare that to when Les Miles came in, and that was sort of neither of those two scenarios. Not a sure. head coach, but also not an assistant coach, so he essentially had to rely upon the relationships that he'd built over his very long career. And it's not that he necessarily assembled a, a poor staff. It's just that he assembled a staff that had never worked together before. And while there's going to be a little bit of mixing and matching here with guys from Buffalo and some holdovers from Kansas, it does feel like the stability will be more of a, of a factor here with this staff than it was with the last one. 
Well, and I'll, I'll go back a couple searches before that. You look at the Turner Gill search and, and Gill coming from Buffalo the way that he did. You know, one of his big selling points and one of the things that I think convinced Lou Perkins to, to pick him as the as the guy was he was assembling this dream staff, right? You know, he was bringing in Carl Torbush, who had all this experience. He was bringing in, you know, Chuck Long to be OC, who had all this experience. You know, Daryl Wyatt was a renowned wide receivers coach who had been in the NFL. Reggie Mitchell was a big-time recruiter in all of this. And one of the few guys that he brought with him on that staff was, was Aaron Stamp, the tight ends coach. But, you know, leaving that out, for the most part, they were new guys. And you look at some of the troubles, I think, that that people would talk about it and tell you about with that staff was there were relatively few people on that staff that really legitimately had the ear of Turner Gill, even with all the qualifications even with you know him trusting them and bringing them in, that doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, when everybody's arguing, there's not somebody in that room that he looks to and says, okay, you know, this is the opinion that I trust in that room. And there were relatively few of those people on that staff. And I think that that was one of the big problems there. I think anytime you've got a new staff, even in, you know, weird circumstances, whether it's you know, you're bringing in a whole new, you know, you're bringing in a, an assistant coach who is a coordinator, so he has to build a whole new staff. You're bringing in a seating head coach who brings in a ton of new guys. There, There's a learning period there, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, it's that's absolutely 100% the wrong way to go, it, but there's, there's definitely a strength, I think, to be had in in knowing that, hey, the the head coach trusts the majority of the staff to to get the job done, and, and everybody else can see the other assistants who stick around or the new additions or whatever, they they can see how things are done, and I, I think it, it sort of becomes one uh, so sort of one thing, you know, altogether, and a little bit faster than maybe it would in the other circumstance. Let's talk specifically about some of these guys. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki, a name that stands out. He was the offensive coordinator at Buffalo. I don't know how much you know about him specifically, but how much do you know about what they were doing offensively at Buffalo under Leipold? Yeah, I, I really liked a lot of the stuff that, that they were running. And, and it, it's interesting because I, I think you would notice some similarities between what they were running at Buffalo and what you see at Kansas State, you know, in terms of, a lot of times, you know, they're running 11 personnel, which is, you know, one tight end and one running back, three wide receivers. Uh, and then they were going to line up and run inside zone at you. And they were going to, they were going to hit you with outside zone. But the thing about it was they were so good at what they did that it really showed up when you watched Buffalo play. When you saw Jarrett Patterson get a carry behind that offensive line and you saw the timing that those offensive linemen had, you know, in terms of not just making their block, but coming off the block just at the right time to pick somebody else up, you know, Jared Patterson's a heck of a running back, Nick. And yet if you threw on film of Jared Patterson's, you know, touchdowns that he had last year and he had a bunch of them, you know, there would be a number of clips where you would just say, my gosh, that that couldn't have been blocked any better. You know, he just, you know, they basically created a, this runway for him to go do his thing. And I, I think when you look at the struggles that, that Kansas has had, 
I think certainly, you know, timing and execution on the offensive line is something that Kansas could stand to get better at it. And I thought that, that Fuchs, the offensive line coach, really did a, did a great job coaching up those guys. I, I thought that when you when you watch them, that's one of the things that, that really, really jumped off the page. It wasn't that they weren't ever going to throw the ball, but when they ran it, they ran it with purpose. They knew what they were doing, and they were efficient with it. I look back to the 2018 season, really the year where Leipold broke through at Buffalo. They go 10 and four. Uh, they go seven and one in the conference. Uh, I think they lost the conference championship, but they they went on to the first the first bowl game under Leipold. And that year, you saw a, a kind of this trio of stars on offense sort of lead the way with with Tyree Jackson. And they had a bunch of guys they had to replace on offense the next year where it felt like, hey, breakthrough, probably going to be a step back. Well, it really wasn't a step back in 2019. They go 8-5, and win a bowl game. Same thing the next year in 2020 where the defense sort of stole the show in 2019. Then all of a sudden, they were good again in 2020 when you kept sort of expecting to see a little bit of a step back. What does that sort of illustrate for the culture or player development? Like, What stands out to you about a team that – has a breakthrough, you expect a setback, and all of a sudden they just keep churning out consistent, solid seasons. Well, you know, I I thought that the depth of the program really kind of showed up in those years because even when they had to replace somebody, you know, that that person was was already there. And, you know, in in 2019, the year that you're talking about where they replaced sort of the two running backs go over 1,000 yards. And, and, you know, you look at at 2020, I, I thought, defensively you know they they weren't bad last year either and, and when you when you look at Koontz and some of the things that they did I mean a, a defensive end Koontz would have would have looked you know great at Oklahoma or Texas you know by the time he finished up his career he was an absolute freak of nature that they were bringing off the edge and and the thing is like Koontz is one guy among different guys that you could point to over those over those years that they were there, it wasn't just one guy. And when somebody like Akuns would leave, you know, for the draft, I would guess that had Leipold stayed at Buffalo, you know, they would have had somebody somebody there next year. And you know, maybe they wouldn't be Kuntz or, or played at quite that level, but there also wasn't going to be the mammoth drop off either. And so I, I think that that's one of the things that stand out were. You know, yes, they had their guys who were stars in that particular season, but they always had more guys waiting the waiting in the wings, and so it wasn't a one-year build. And I think that's the the thing that jumps out, and especially people want to make the connection between Turner Gill and Lance Leipold because Bolo. But I think with Turner Gill, what you saw was they really had the one big year. And I think that Buffalo, you could see that it was built for a multi-year run. And, and this year, this past season, 2020, you know, might have been the best of those years. What did they finish, Nick? Six and one, seven and one, I think. Six and one, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. So they, it was looking and shaping up to be another, you know, double-digit win type of type of season. And so it wasn't the type of thing where, hey, Sometimes you win a lot of games because you catch a quarterback for, for a year or two or, or you just get a big group of seniors. I think what you're talking about and what stands out about sort of that run was 
it was a legitimate run and it wasn't just based on, you know, okay, we just hit the jackpot with one group of kids. It, it was something that they were building to last. Talking to Kevin Flaherty of 24 seven sports here on rock chuck sports talk, uh, specifically Brian Borland, uh, looks like he's going to take over for DJ Elliott as the defensive coordinator. Uh, what do you expect that to look like, especially with you know, some guys on defense? You say there's more about the defense than you would the Kansas offense, where you feel like he got some pieces there. Yeah, yeah. I think coming off the spring game, you know, it, that I can understand, you know, it's tough to watch a spring game where the defense dominates because for whatever reason, you don't feel good about your team when the defense dominates the spring game, even though they should be ahead of the offense at, at this point. You want to see you know, the long passes and you want to want to see those things to, to make you excited about your playmakers on offense. But I think one of the things that we saw was the defense really looked pretty good, Nick, and didn't just look good, you know, in terms of them having, say, three good starting defensive linemen. I, I thought the depth on the defensive line was really strong. I think they've recruited and evaluated really well in the secondary when you're looking at Jacoby Bryant, you know, potentially plugging in, 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 in uh, from Prunty, you know, Kenny Logan back there, Jason Gilliam, I think is a guy that could wind up playing a lot early as a nickelback type of guy. And so, and you look out there and you look at those guys and if you try and look at it without bias, I think you look and you see that those are legitimate big 12 caliber players out there. Now what's interesting about Brian Borland coming in, is DJ Elliott was a three-man front, and he would do it with kind of uh, an edge linebacker, if you will, uh, in Stephen Parker. And what they ran at Buffalo was more of a traditional four-man front, but one of them was was standing up, and that was Koontz. But the the interesting thing to me will be, you know, KU is built basically right now on the defensive line to run a three-man front. The defensive ends are huge. <laughs> you know, Caleb Sampson is 292 pounds. I think he's listed at Malcolm Harris. They were talking about at the spring game, you know, potentially being up to around 290 pounds. One of those guys is probably going to have to slide inside to a tackle spot, you know, a three technique type of spot from, you know, a four or so what they are now. But the other thing that's interesting, I think, is the end opposite Stephen Parker and Malcolm Lee, you know, will probably be that stand-up end. I think when you look at the other end spot, there are some choices that they're going to make. Do they want to go with with smaller end-sized guys there, or do they want to go ahead and say, we want our strong side end to, to set the edge and do all these different things? Marcus Harris can play there for us at almost 290 pounds. And so I do think that there are some interesting questions there, but – I thought that, that Brian Borland's group last year, uh, in the stuff that I watched, they looked pretty sound. And, and so I'm interested to see, you know, sort of the shifts and, and maybe some of the slight tweaks and position changes that we might see if they do decide to go to more of a four-man front. Whenever there is coaching changes, coordinator changes, there's always the fear of guys potentially feeling like they're getting left out or the system doesn't fit them very much. Um is there any concern with that? When you look at what Kansas was running, the specific standout players that you feel like would affect Kansas if they left, do you see any potential areas of concern where, hey, maybe these guys might not be as happy in this new system? I don't think so necessarily. Defensively, you know, somewhat alike. So I, I don't see 
I don't see anything there that would maybe, you know, make a guy be like, man, I just, I just don't have a, a fit here. You know, offensively, maybe the emphasis changes just slightly, but, but even so, it, it wasn't like Buffalo was three yards in a cloud of dust. I mean, they threw the ball too. And so I don't see a ton of changes there either. If anything, Nick, I think a coaching change a lot of times can revitalize a guy who feels like he's been buried for one reason or another. You know, he, he feels like, hey, I, I'm in the doghouse. I can't get out. You know, I'm buried behind some other guys. I, I'm just never going to beat this guy out. And, and I think that when you have a coaching change and competition is reopened and everything, that's that's not necessarily a negative for the guy because they feel like they're still going to play a major role. But a lot of times it, it can galvanize the, the guys who maybe aren't getting a chance because they feel like, hey, it's a new set of eyes. It's a new guy. This is, this is my chance to, to impress it and maybe – give myself a, a second chance to start off on the right foot. And so uh, there's not any specific, you know, scheme questions that I would have where I would say somebody would look at it and just say, Oh no, that's, that's really just, just not for me at this point. I, I think, you know, you'll usually see some guys transfer out when there's a coaching change regardless, but at the same time, you know, I think retaining Emmett Jones could go a long way toward, uh, toward solving some of those issues. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 247sports.com. Kevin, appreciate the insight as always, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot.